Welcome to the Beach Grove United Methodist Church Sermon Podcast. We are a church located in Suffolk, Virginia, and each week we post our sermons from our Sunday morning worship service. Sermon notes are linked in the podcast notes, and you can go and open them now and follow along as you listen. Our current series is called Everyday Saints. Join us and listen along as we explore what it means to be an everyday saint of the faith, the characteristics of saints, and those that have influenced our own spiritual growth as saints among the great cloud of witnesses. All of this leading to our celebration of All Saints Sunday on November the 7th. Go and like our Facebook page, subscribe to our YouTube channel, both of which are linked in the podcast notes below, and subscribe to this podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, and please don't forget to share it with others. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning comes to us from Romans 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according, excuse me, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortion, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. This is the word of God for the children of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, that through your word for us this day, we would begin to unpack and explore what it means to be saints in your church. In your son's name we pray, amen. I invite you to take out your notes page there. Uh, you have the scripture and uh, Merry Christmas. You have a lot of white space in fact, you will notice that it is all white space. Um, no, friends, I apologize. This week I was at a conference on Wednesday and Thursday, and so I was unable to get to uh, unpacking my sermon as sermon notes this week, but now the sermon notes are on you. See, and you guys have pencils and pens in the pews in front of you. Hopefully, at this point in time, I invite you to please make sure, uh, as you are going through this sermon, that you write down what you uh, take from this sermon as you seek to take this, wor- this word into the world with you. 
Um, but uh, occasionally it happens, right? Occasionally we have busy weeks where we unfortunately can't get to all the things. And so I appreciate the grace that you all are giving me um, as you follow along with the sermon. I was telling Patty, I said, y'all just need to listen more carefully this week. Um, so, so as we go through this sermon, right? <laughs> I want to begin this morning with a question. What does it mean to be a saint? What does it mean to be a saint? You know, if we were Catholic, we would have this long list of saints whose days we would celebrate, whose feasts we would give thanks to, whose births and deaths we would honor. Most of these saints would have gone through a process during their lives. They would have done something amazing. They would have done something miraculous. And when they died, their lives would have had to have been judged as such that they are worthy of this mantle of saint. And then at some point in time in the history of the church, some pope came along and beatified them and made them into a saint. A process that kind of seems a little bit like the Methodist ordination process, if I'm being honest with you. No. Um, they are people far greater than I. I will name that right now. But you know, if you look at some of the post-Reformation church denominations, the, the Lutheran, some of the Reforms, and specifically even in the United Methodist tr- denomination, we have a bit more of a universal understanding of sainthood. If we look at this saintliness that we project And this saintliness, saintly idea that we think of is more akin to discipleship, that we are disciples for Christ and thereby are saints. And it plays even into John Wesley's understanding of sainthood. You see, John Wesley, he he didn't like this individual celebration of saints, but along with Luther, who believed in the priesthood of all believers, that we, we all play a role in the communal understanding of church, John Wesley believed so too that we all hold this idea of saintliness. And that the saints, as we celebrate them, we give thanks for all who have come in this faith before us. And so it was less about the individualized saint, and it was more about All Saints Day and celebrating All Saints Day. A day that is less than a month away, that we celebrate on November the 1st every year. Typically, it doesn't fall on a Sunday, so we celebrate the Sunday after All Saints Day is All Saints Sunday. And so in, our, in this next series, we are going to work our way to All Saints Sunday. And we are going to explore characteristics of what it means to be everyday saints. Now, I wish that I could take credit for this sermon series. I do, because it is a really great one, but I cannot. I got this sermon series from a church who I worship with in Plano, Texas. Yes, that's right. No, I don't fly to Plano, Texas every week. I watch them online, thank goodness for modern media, and they had this series about everyday saints, and so I've adapted it for our context, because as I thought about this idea of what it means to be an everyday saint, I thought in this in this life, in this season of the church, as we close out and we move ourselves towards Advent and we continue on this visioning process, I thought, what does it mean? What are we asking the people of church to be in the world? And as we move ourselves towards All Saints Day and we think about the saints that have formed us, the saints that have been there in our past, the saints that form us in our present and the saints that we look to be in the future, What are those characteristics that we look to embody, that we look for in sainthood? 
And so as we begin to unpack these characteristics, we do so. We're going to do so by looking in Scripture. We're going to do so by looking at tradition, at reason, at experience. These, these four Wesleyan ideals that form this understanding of theological unpacking that we have in our faith. The quadrilateral, as it has been called uh, in we- by Wesleyan historians. And looking specifically at these ideas and characteristics of surrender of piety, of service, and of relationships, and unpacking how each one of these characteristics calls us to be saints in our own right, and even looking at those in our past who have helped to show us ideals and understandings. And so let's get going. We're going to dive into our first characteristic of sainthood, of saintliness, however we want to describe it, and we begin with surrender. And I hope that word sounds familiar because it was just two weeks ago when we talked about the prayer of holy surrender. And we talked about surrender in the midst of our prayer life and what that breakthrough prayer of holy surrender truly looks like. And you all will remember, those of you who who were with us and those of you who have listened to that sermon, will remember that talk of surrender in the context of breakthrough prayer is praying for God's will and desire to take over and to replace our own wills and desires in our life, right? And we talked about what that prayer looks like. And so if we are going to take now surrender, and we're going to attach that understanding that we looked at when we talked about surrender as prayer, and now we're going to attach it as a characteristic of discipleship and sainthood. And so we're going to take it that extra step, a way of life to truly release our own life's agenda for God's agenda, both God's agenda for us personally and God's agenda for creation. Because throughout, his, throughout the history of creation, when we look at Scripture, when we look through the history of the church, there has been a very clear directive of the way that we are called to align with how we interact with God, others, and creation. This manner of life living and even faith defined by this all-encompassing grace of God as portrayed in every aspect of our Christian theology. To surrender to this nature of God's call and purpose for humanity is at the base of our understanding of God, and therefore is the base of Jesus' teaching for the world. And then, as we look into our passage for this week, becomes the foundation that Paul latches onto as he is writing this letter to the Romans. Now remember, this is one of Paul's uh, more wider landscape letters. This is not one that's directed at a specific church, but this is a letter that is directed to the people, the Christian people of Rome. And when I say Rome, I don't just mean like the city of Rome, but I mean the whole Roman Empire. And as Paul is writing, he is reminding them of what it means to be a Christian in the midst of an empire. And so we're reminded as we begin to unpack this nature of the Roman church that it is not the nature, the innate nature of the Roman empire that is bad, but is this nature in which the fealty and allegiance of Christians 
to the Roman Empire begins to overpower and overtake the nature in which God calls them to live. And it is the nature in which Paul is calling them to step away from their own desires, to step away from the desires of the world, and to step into the desires of God. Because Caesar requires allegiance to Caesar alone. For without allegiance, what power does Caesar have? And so the world that Paul is talking about as he begins this section of the letter is this nature in which one conforms to the natural and nationalization of the Roman Empire. And Paul wants his readers to know that they cannot be both beholden to Rome and to God. And by such relationship, you are inevitably sacrificing something in God's nature in order to swear allegiance to Rome. And so, instead, what Paul does is Paul calls his readers to a new transformational life. A life that is going to be difficult. A life that is not, going to be e- that is not easily done in the midst of where they live and reside. And Paul calls his readers by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, But be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so what is Paul saying here? That instead of our mind focused on conforming to the world, of conforming to the empire worldview that is prevalent in this Roman period, Paul calls for for Christians to be transformed by the nature of who God calls them to be. By the very grace and nature of God. That way, as they are living their lives, they may discern God's will both for them and for the world. So not only are the people of God transformed, but in the end, the world becomes transformed to reflect and to be the kingdom that God has called it to be. How many of you all have seen the 2007 movie Amazing Grace? Yeah? So for those of you who have seen it will know that it is a sort of documentary style thing, but also a story replayed, documenting the life of William Wilberforce and the battle to abolish the slave trade in his native United Kingdom. And for the most part, the the movie gives us a portrayal of Wilberforce and his life as we look to see and understand why this is such a passionate issue for him. Because when we look at the life of William Wilberforce, we see a life that was defined by the manner of opposition he gave to fight the slave trade in the United Kingdom. In fact, if you can look up any of his platform, as it were, as he was running for a member of parliament, his entire platform was surrounded in this understanding of abolishing the slave trade and fighting for humane treatment of humans, of all humans. 
Now, in hindsight, we can look back and we can say that the slave trade was bad. And yet, in Wilberforce's time, it was somewhat of an unpopular position. Not somewhat, actually. It was a very unpopular decision. And it took Wilberforce decades to finally get the slave trade abolished. Wilberforce oftentimes the lone voice speaking against it. But Wilberforce's intentional decision to take an unpopular stand was based off of his faith. He took a stand because he saw how the slave trade, how the act of slavery was an inhumane act counter to what God called the world to be. And yet, despite his preaching to this notion, Britain continued to not only support, but to profit from the slave trade. Until Wilberforce and his colleagues were finally victorious in its abolition in 1806. Britain, a nation that is supposedly guided by its Christian faith, (coughs) decided they wanted to conform to the world and profit off the enslavement of fellow human beings instead of surrendering to God's purpose and agenda to be beacons of grace for the world. And this is the notion that Paul is speaking to. And this is the nature of what it means to be an everyday saint, a disciple for the kingdom. It means we surrender. It means that we surrender and live in this world in line with who God calls us to be, rather than to be swayed by our own personal agenda that helps us or even helps a few. God calls us to be unselfish, to love for love's sake, and not for what we might receive out of it, and not to exist in this world for our own profit, but to aid and support our fellow human beings, to be a community of believers who seek to love God's kingdom. When we collect and understand these natures, do we align more with Jesus' vision of the kingdom? Or do we try and replicate some sort of cutthroat manner of society that either seeks to eat or be eaten? A saint surrenders because we recognize that we have received and seek to not just offer it to others, but to offer it to others as fully as we have received it ourselves. When we talked about surrendering as a form of prayer, We talked about surrendering to what God's will and purpose and desire is. However, surrendering to God in our prayer life is not enough if we are not willing to also live that surrender fully throughout the rest of our lives, throughout the rest of our ministry. Because, friends, if the grace of God does not transform us to be better people, to be more like Christ then have we truly surrendered? Or are we merely just giving lip service to what we think we believe? Friends, as I've sat back and watched the way that we have reacted in the midst of this pandemic, I think many of us can say that we have seen the worst selfishness that society has to offer. 
response to things that folks are being asked to care for one another are just met with personal grievances. But Paul, right here in this passage, gives us an example of a community that is willing to work together. When we conform to the world, we conform to the selfishness and ambitions that the world tells us we think we need to have. But Paul calls us to not conform, but to be transformed by the renewing of the Spirit. And then Paul calls us and shows us this manner of radical living and what it looks like in community. Because Paul calls us and shows us and tells us, For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we who are many are one in the body of Christ. We are one in the body of Christ. It takes all of us. It takes a village, is essentially what Paul is saying. And that, coming off a statement of being transformed and renewed so that we can discern God's good and acceptable and perfect will, Paul is calling for the foundation of our communities to be looking out for one another. Because if we don't look out for one another, how can we truly be the body of Christ? How will we know our neighbor if we do not love them? How can we ever expect our neighbor to know and understand who God is if we do not share with them the same love that God has shared with us? How can we love our neighbor if we have not truly been transformed and renewed by the Spirit? I think Martin Luther King Jr. does such a great job of summing this up in his sermon, The the Transformed Nonconformist, when he says and talks about that we cannot be be merely nonconforming to the world, but we must be transformed. It is a two-step process because even just non-conforming creates within it the potential of being drawn to the direction of selfishness. But being transformed, being transformed focuses our minds in a different direction. It focuses our minds on God and the kingdom that God is seeking to build and the role that we play in building that kingdom. Transformation involves this understanding of surrender. It calls our attention away from those things that cause hurt and pain in the world. And it turns our attention, instead of pain, to healing. It seeks to view others, no matter who they are, no matter what they believe, no matter what they say, even sometimes no matter how they treat us. And it seeks to bring healing. In the midst of systemic pains, it seeks to heal the old wounds so as not to create new ones. We must understand that the world cannot be defined by those in power, but by God. And this nature, this idea, this transformation forces us to open our eyes and to see the world through God's eyes. To see the pain of the world as God sees. To hear the cries of the people who are lost, who are disenfranchised, who are hurting. 
And even in the face of a society that tries to silence that pain, we as people of God speak up and we side with the oppressed. We side with the hurting and we seek to heal the pain because that is the kingdom that God is building. The ultimate transformation is the transformation of the world into the true embodiment of God's kingdom. And so as a saint yourselves, how are you seeking to surrender? As Paul says, what is good and acceptable and perfect? It is that nature that guides the manner we live in the world. And it, got, and it is that manner that guides the nature in which we seek to be part of the body of Christ, to love the people that Christ came to love, and to offer freedom and healing where otherwise people feel chained and broken. Amen.